0: Welcome to the Health Leader Forge, where today's health leaders help to forge the leaders of tomorrow. I'm your host, Mark Bonica, of the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Our website is healthleaderforge.org, where you can find information about subscribing to the podcast, links and information related to the episode, as well as our complete archives. Today's guest is Bridget Stewart, the Vice President for Physician Services at the Elliott Health System in Manchester, New Hampshire. Bridget's career spans a wide variety of hospitals and clinical activities. She has worked at several famous Boston hospitals, such as Brigham and Women's, Boston Children's, and most recently before coming to the Elliott as the Vice President for Operations at the Joslin Diabetes Clinic. In addition to earning her bachelor's degree from health management and policy here at the University of New Hampshire, she holds an MBA and a doctor of law and policy. This is the abridged version of the podcast, and in this abridged version, we talk about her two most recent roles, at Joslyn and the Elliot. The full-length podcast is also available, and in that podcast, you will hear her talk about her full career journey as well as advice for early careerists. Welcome to The Forge, Bridget.
1: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I'm excited because you are the third health management and policy alumnus in a row to be on The Forge and you're the third senior woman leader which I think is really exciting as well. So after eight years at Children's, you were hired by Joslyn Diabetes Clinic as the vice president for clinical operations. So briefly let's talk a little bit about Joslyn and what's its mission. And how is it different from the organizations you had worked with previously?
1: Jocelyn is a center that's focused completely on diabetes, treating the whole patient with diabetes. You know, our mission and vision is really to uh, put ourselves out of business, or was to put ourselves out of business. You know, it was to really find a cure for diabetes. But while we were doing that, it was to treat the whole person with diabetes. It's not just the endocrine system, it affects other systems. My role there was a little bit different than, than children's or any others because it was just so subspecialty-focused. But it gave me a good opportunity to you know, kind of move beyond cardiology. I had been so focused in cardiology, and my concern in growing in my career was I didn't really want to pigeonhole myself just in one department. And this gave me an opportunity to kind of break out of that. Diabetes is such a, a, a big problem, and, you know, society today. It ties to so many other, you know, kind of comorbid diseases. For example, a lot of people who don't have diabetes don't recognize eye disease, kidney disease, neuropathies. So there's so many kind of other aspects of diabetes. Uh, Behavioral health, you know, there's a huge component. And I think about imagine being a teenager and going to college and having a pump are, you know, having to inject insulin, having a pump, you know, to inject your insulin, CGM, testing your blood sugars, you're already awkward enough, you know, going into college or even high school, but, you know, to try to understand what this means. So for the family group to come together and, you know, to really understand that behavioral health and social work are really important components of that. Urology is another kind of, um, kind of aspect of cardiology, vascular diseases. So I'd say, you know, Jocelyn is just really deep in diabetes, which was different than, you know, some of the other places I had been. It did give me the opportunity with the subspecialties to understand a bit more about ophthalmology, urology, education, how important education is, nutri- uh, nutrition and, and just general diabetes education. Really, you know, kind of learn a lot more about endocrine. And again, the mission of Jocelyn is really, you know, to treat those patients with diabetes in all aspects of their care.
0: So, What were your responsibilities as the
1: Vice President of Clinical Operations? Vice
0: President for Clinical Operations.
1: Yeah, my responsibilities were to oversee, I would say, all of the administration for clinical operations. So, um, what does that mean? That means if we were going to bring in new programs. Those were something that I would need to look at and investigate and understand. It was compensation for the physicians and providers. What did their compensation model look like? It was working with payers. Uh, we did a lot with payers to try to look at other innovative programs that we can work on together that reduce overall costs in healthcare and maybe get introduce diabetes care earlier. An example might be if a patient goes into the hospital and they go in for a heart attack, um, but they have diabetes. They might stay longer because they have diabetes. So we we focus on treating the heart attack, but there might be, you know, getting their diabetes in control. So the heart attack's first, and then you kind of look at the diabetes. Well, that might extend their length of stay two or three days. That's an expensive kind of situation. So how do we introduce that consult or that diabetes intervention earlier in the stay? So how do we do things like that? Uh, We were doing a lot with telemedicine, for example. You know, how do we introduce telemedicine? it takes a lot to manage your diabetes and going into a organization four times a year how do we make it more convenient for our patients the patients with diabetes are dealing with so much already and how do we make it easier for them revenue cycle rolled up to me he- um, health information management rolled up to me education and all of the sub- subspect- subsections at JOS also rolled up to me as well so wow. I'd say it was a broad broad swath um, anything administrative kind of rolled up under my purview. And I worked very closely, obviously, with the chief medical officer to, you know, roll these programs out, as well as my directors and managers.
0: Wow, okay. So how did, so you, you were saying you worked with chief medical officer. How did, where did your position fit into the overall organization?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I reported up to the chief medical officer. Okay. Um, he, we I sat on the senior leadership team, so I had the ability to you know, be part of the decision-making, help influence that, you know, bring uh, things that we might be doing at a senior leadership level uh, down to the clinic, helped with strategy. Um, I mentioned some of the programs and things that we were doing. I also took on some other areas. So Jocelyn had an affiliates program. So about probably almost a year, six months before I left, I took on the affiliates program. The affiliates is, there's about, there were about 40 affiliates of Jocelyn throughout the country and what we did was we were probably one of the places that took care of the most patients with diabetes so we learned a lot about how to do it how to do it well and it was this kind of it's a PDSA cycle on steroids you know you learn a lot fast so how did we take that and this was back 26 years ago someone kind of came up with this concept how do we take the lessons that we learn there, policies procedures everything else and help organizations that are really trying to implement a better program for patients with diabetes. So those were our affiliates, so they would pay some money and we would work with them. We'd have site visits and we'd help them implement new programs and help support them in their role in in their uh, delivery of diabetes and diabetes programs. So that was another kind of aspect. We also had affiliated programs. So we delivered a lot of education because, again, we knew a lot about diabetes. It was just this concentrated area. So we were taking our lessons learned and things that we you know learned working with, it might be pharma or industry, to help them educate their specialists, or their salespeople, or uh, maybe other clinicians, so we called it professional education, so educating other professionals in how to manage these patients. And in terms of, just to get back to, I I don't know if I answered your question, in terms Mm -hmm. of leadership structure, you know, I was Mm -hmm. responsible for that, sat on the leadership team, and I will say one other thing that our president did was he allowed us a lot of times to sit in on board meetings, so that was another great opportunity to really speak to what was happening in the clinic. Questions had come up. And, you know, we sat on the, on the periphery, but he would, you know, kind of tap into us and say, okay, Bridget, you know, why don't you answer that question? Because that's something you know most about. So it gave us that opportunity to, you know, be part of that and, you know, really understand and learn in so that So you way.
0: started to engage with the governance of the organization mm-hmm. at, that, at that
1: time. Yeah, I, I would say engage or just kind of, you know, be part of it. Or Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well,
0: that so that kind of leads me to, to, to my next question about this. So. You'd been working in senior leadership positions up until this time, but now you you have this vice president title. So what I hear you saying is you really kind of moved up to a, a, a strategic position in the organization. Can you, what are the implied responsibilities of someone at this level? So, I mean, you probably you have formal responsibilities, but my sense is when you move into the strategic leader level, you've got kind of a, a, a broader scope of responsibilities that go beyond perhaps what, you know, on paper for what you are supposed to do
1: Hmm, that's a good question I mean it's a good comment yeah I would say you know there's probably a lot to think of right now I'm probably not going to do a great job but I'd say some of the implied I mean there's really a responsibility to the organization to the staff so one thing I felt was important was really to enhance communication we were a small organization but to really make sure and, and I mentioned children's did a really great job at this and and you know credit to Sandy Fenwick who's their president and CEO now. But you know, really to make sure folks were on the same page. If we were doing something, you know, how did they fit into that? If we were changing uh, you know rooms or space or, you know, it was small enough so they should know because it's going to impact them, but really to communicate, a lot of it was financial. We You know, financially, the Jocelyn has a a challenging business model, but how do we engage staff in um, helping us achieve our mission? So, you know, this is something that I can do somewhat as a senior leader, but really, it's about rallying the staff around your mission and giving them the tools and the information they need so they can do their job better. So, I think for me the one thing I felt like I needed to do was, you know, really be a conduit of, you know, providing that information and um, data points that they could use to do their job. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the f- person on the front line, if something changed for us in terms of reimbursement or, you know, something at a national level or something we're doing, you know, or there's an initiative, it's important for everyone to really be aware of that so they can work, you know, strategically with us and we can do that as a, as a partnership and as an entity. I mean obviously there's things like fiduciary responsibility and those things that, you know, I have to make sure that I'm, you know, making, you know, good decisions. But I'd say this is the one that really kind of resonated with me at the JOSUN was really to bring bring the staff and the team together.
0: One of the things that I've observed and I've not worked in Boston, but one of the things I've observed, you know, from as an outsider looking in is Boston seems a bit like the Silicon Valley of of healthcare. Uh, and when I draw that metaphor, what I mean is, you know, in Silicon Valley you see folks moving from Google to Microsoft, or you know, uh, and back and forth around community, and it seems like the community is very fungible. Is, is that an accurate observation? Do uh, and and I'm just kind of looking at your career mm. in particular, having moved through many of these organizations. Mm-hmm. Is that a common thing to see in the Boston area? Do folks move between organizations? Or are you kind of a
1: anomaly? A, an anomaly. <laughs> Um, I think so. I think as you grow in your career, probably, you know, you're looking to, you know, progress and, you know, I, I think that's what I hope folks see when they look at my resume is, you know, that it was, there there was growth, there was, you know, a stepwise fashion. I'm very deliberate in how I do things, so that might be kind of how I did things. I do think that that does happen. I, I know, you know, I've had students that come to me or, you know, go across the way and, you know, uh, I'll use Sarah Abkowitz, you know, one of the students that I had at Children's. Uh, she was my intern. She then went to, and she was also, she received an award recently at, at, for HMP. She's a, a, a great student and great advocate for the program. But she um, was at Children's Hospital as a student for me, went to the Jocelyn, started her career there. She was there for three or four years. Now she's at Children's again. And I think, you know, when she told me she was going there, she was going to work for Jason Dupuy, who I also worked with, who worked for me um, as an administrative coordinator. And I think one thing I like to see, you know, is it makes sense. I, I expect some level of commitment. And, you know, I think I gave folks a level of commitment for some time. But I think that makes sense to, you know, try to grow in your career. And I think, you know, I know I want that for my my students, for the folks who work for me, you know, to help them, to help them benefit and grow. Um, so I think it's acceptable and, and I think, you know, um, you will see that in Boston and, yeah. you know, it really is, believe it or not, I, I think about Boston, it's a small community. Yeah. I think that was the hardest thing about coming up here to New Hampshire is I didn't know a lot of the people, you know, going from children's to the Jocelyn, I Brigham them to the ch- their children's. It was easy. I knew, you know, a lot of the people I could make a call. How do you do this? How does this work? The politics were all the same. You know, this has been a big learning experience for me, you know, coming up to New Hampshire. It's it's different. I didn't know a lot of the folks, you know, it, I had to learn a lot of things. Um, but I think you're right. I think, you know, you do see that, you know, folks move around in Boston and, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think organizationally it really helps the organization to, to grow.
0: Yeah. I, I mean I didn't mean to imply that you were job hopping. Oh. Because you because <laughs> you did <laughs> you, you did do a number of years at each position. Sure. Clearly job hopping can, can earn you a reputation for yeah. a lack of commitment, but you know. But one of the things you're you're talking about in terms of the Boston being a big city, but it is a small community. I, I wonder you could talk about kind of networking and establishing a, a kind of a reputation in your community yeah. and you know how important is that?
1: You know I, I if, if you talk to I, any anyone any of the students I've worked with over the past you know 15 years or whatever I think that is so key it's I mean that's you know you've hit the nail on the head is networking and you know really keeping those relationships or you know supporting one another. Uh, you know, I'll get calls. I have a call with someone on the way home today, on my drive home. You know, that's trying to network with me, and uh, you give back, you give to and it's it's a to and from, and it, and it's so important. To, you know, kind of know who's on first and where folks are, and to help them. You know, they're going to help you too. But um, I think you learn a lot. You know, I, I you know just you know connected with someone from Mass Medical uh, Society the other day. We hadn't talked in a while, and she kind of saw I changed something on LinkedIn, and. You know, I learned so much from her and her job, and and there's so much learning that can happen there. You know, I can learn what's happening at Children's. I, you know, call up my colleague, and I, oh, this is happening, and it might imply, it might apply to us in what we're doing up here at Elliott. So I just think there's so many benefits of of networking and really keeping current, Um, and I think it's, you know, it's malpractice or, you know, not to do that. I just think it's so important.
0: Is there a common culture shared by the healthcare community in Boston? Do you see an overlap between the facilities and the people there, or is that a is it or is it really they each have a unique culture and? Um,
1: yeah, that's a good different. question. My perception and others, you know, might have varying uh, kind of perceptions, but my perception is that they are pretty different. Okay. You know, I think it's really the leadership and the, you know, clinicians and values and, and the mission that really do drive that. I think it's true. If you look at, you know, Children's and how it differs from the Brigham, there's very much a difference there. Uh, the Jocelyn is primarily outpatient, however, we do manage the consults, inpatient consults at um, at the Brigham. But I would say the cultures are very different. Knowing the players and kind of what happens in Boston really is helpful but the the culture i would my, my impression is is that they're very different.
0: Okay. So you worked at Jocelyn until this just this past spring when you left Boston and you headed up here to Elliott Hospital in Manchester where you're now the vice president for physician services. How did you decide it was time to make the jump from Boston? And you kind of indicated it, it was a it's a big jump. It's um, a big jump, so and I was very Even though worried. Manchester's not that far. Yeah, it's
1: not that far, and my commute's not great, but it's okay yeah. uh, from Massachusetts. But um, I felt like it was just time. You know, I think at Children's I was there for eight years, and I'm really not this old. But And at Johnson, I was there for five years. And I think I got to a point where, at both places, I felt like I had done a lot, accomplished a lot, but to be candid, it's time for a fresh set of eyes. Someone else who comes in and, you know, I have that fresh set of eyes. I think, and I said this to my boss here, I think, you know, folks when they come in that first year is when you really identify, you know, things that need to change, initiatives that you want to start. How do you, how do you really impact change? And I think that's an exciting time. And I really, I really, you know, kind of get excited about that. And I think, you know, here at, at Elliot, I've been here three months and there's so many things I want to do. I, I just don't know how to do it all. I will do it all, Um, but I think at at Children's and and at the um, at Jocelyn, I don't think it that I was ineffective, but I think that a fresh set of eyes wouldn't have hurt them either. Right. So I just thought you know from Children's to Jocelyn, it was a nice time, a nice transition, you know, right time for me professionally, and I think the same thing at Jocelyn here and. You know, they just recently hired my replacement. I, you know, he called me to talk about it and, you know, I've, you know, left on just such great terms and, you know, they still call me, you know, how do you do this? And, but I felt like it was time to kind of just make that move. So that's how I knew for me that it was time. I felt like, you know, I wasn't as kind of coming up with as many new initiatives and, you know, a lot of status quo and I wasn't as fresh. So I think, you know, moving once in a while from organization to organization, you can take your lessons learned, you can take you know, some practices and, and kind of identified new opportunities in a new organization. The other thing was a gentleman that I knew of in the community, his name was, or is Craig Williams. He was at Tufts New England Medical Center as the COO, and he had recently been hired at Elliot to be the COO at Elliot. And he had reached out to me via LinkedIn. Again, networking is so important. And over the course of years, you know, we had talked, you know, I, I didn't know him very well, but we had talked about I think it was Jason, who had interviewed at New England Medical Center. And Jason was great. And, you know, we had talked about him, and I had sent him an O. He's a great candidate. But just those connections, he had reached out to me and told me about this opportunity. So the more I looked at Elliot, the more interested I became in the role because there is a whole new senior leadership team. Oh, So we have a new president who came from uh, Marion Health System in Wisconsin. We have a new COO. We have a new CNO coming. I think this week, we have a new CIO came from the Boston Boston as well. We have my position, and so it's a really a new senior leadership team. And I was a little nervous about that, but I'm really excited about it. And it's been a lot of fun. And I think as I walk around Elliot right now and talk to the staff, they're energized. You know, they there's this 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 feeling of you know kind of energy and excitement. The mission you had mentioned at Elliot is to in, inspire, heal, and serve so i think that you know this is a new mission we've just recently rolled it out and and we're living it right now uh there's an era of transparency uh from senior leadership i think some of the staff are a little bit kind of you know surprised about this but it's an exciting time to be part of elliott and and it's been great and you know working with the senior leadership team has just been a great experience so far
0: great um so kind of briefly how big is Elliot? Well give, give us a sense of scale and scope or what, it, what does it do?
1: Sure, Elliot's a good size hospital, it's a community hospital um, so again this was a change for me being in you know mostly academic. The size is we have I think it's 300 beds, we staffed to about two something tie twos. I would say that the strength of Elliot is really our community presence so we have about in My Physician Services Network We have about 340 or 50 physicians that are affiliated, employed by the hospital. So we have a number of physicians, and then there's about another 300 that have um, admitting privileges here. A credit to the previous leadership, they recognized years ago that it was important to bring your network closer. So a lot of the primary care and specialist care that was in the community, they started to bring these practices closer to Elliot, and they became employed practices. So I think it was a vision, you know, Doug Dean, the, the president before, and Rick Phelps, I've met Doug, I haven't met Rick, but um, to really bring the network closer. So the size of net, uh, Elliot's is really quite large. I think the strength of Elliot is really the physicians and the network, and it's my role to really figure out how do we align this? How do we structure it the right way? I'm working with um, my boss, the CMO, I have a dotted line to the COO and then I report directly to the CMO chief medical officer and you know working with him to try to figure out you know what's our communication strategy how do we support the providers in their roles how do we make their practices operate as efficiently as we can you know how do we communicate our mission and vision throughout the network and how do we get everyone to buy into kind of what we're trying to do our mission you know our strategic plan really encompasses quality which is important so how do we promulgate that it encompasses growth uh, sustainability, provider alignment, and uh, employee engagement, and then patient experience. So that's really what we're focused on here at the Elliott.
0: You started to kind of talk about what your new responsibilities are, and you said you report to the CMO, the chief medical officer. Uh, you said you have 350 employed physicians. So that's a very large Group practice, right? So, what do you you mentioned the strategic goals just now? What what do you do on a day to day basis? What is a day in the so far, mm. the three months you've been here? What is mm-hmm. a day in the life of the vice president for physician services look like?
1: You know, so far, it's been a little bit of everything. Uh, we've had some fires to put out, some things that there was this position was empty for about nine months. You know, we've been working through a lot of kind of the compensation, obviously with. So working through some of that, some of the things that hadn't been addressed in some time. Uh, So I have some, you know, great directors that I work with here. So working with them to, you know, kind of help, you know, kind of figure out where do we want to go strategically for compensation plans, compensation strategy, you know, what's our philosophy around compensation. So that's been one of the areas. The other thing is, is um, before I came in, Greg Baxter, Dr. Baxter, my CMO, had worked with others to structure an operating board. So the network really has been structured, or there's been a leadership structure that's been implemented. So we've really been refining that. And the structure is an operating board, and under that, there's subcommittees. So we have an operations subcommittee, which I chair. And that is really looking at, you know, how are we, how are we standardizing, I'm giving examples, our primary care practices? How do we redesign that practice for the future? How many practices should we have? We've got, you know, a number now, I, I'm kinda make up a number, 15 primary care practices. Should we have four? What should that look like? What, what do you mean
0: by f- you have some Satellite. large So number. if you looked okay. at
1: um, our practices, we might have a practice with two docs in it.
0: A physical building someplace physical out place, in the community yes. with just two doctors. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you've got a bunch of these.
1: And we have a bunch of these, right. So what should that look like? Should we have, what's the right number? Should it be 10? physicians in a practice so we can gain those economies of scale and efficiencies and really provide them with the support they need? Or should it be two? And how do you manage that small practice if you're trying to do that, you know, knowing that they're under joint commission, you know, accreditation and and all of these types of things? So really trying to figure out operationally, how do we do that? It might be something like, um, You know, how do we manage our labs and the satellites? It might be something like, what's our gift policy for providers? So it might be any number of things. The other thing, this uh, or the other uh, aspect this operating board looks at is provider alignment or engagement. So working with, we have two executive medical directors to roll out leadership um, and uh, performance evaluations. Providers have uh, commented that they don't get a lot of feedback on quality and that kind of thing, so working with them on that a finance committee so trying to engage them in the budgeting process and then engage them in if there's a variance how do we understand that and how do we dig into some of these uh kind of areas and, and try to you know work together and, and be transparent about what we're doing and then the other is quality and safety so how do we make sure that we're aligning our quality and safety with what's in our contracts for example that we're you know aligning with what our, our Vision and mission is for the organization. So, for example, if it's readmissions that we're trying to improve this year, mm-hmm. how do we do that as an organization, as a network? And what are some of the initiatives we need? And how do we make sure that doesn't conflict with length of stay and our financial kind of interests and that kind of thing? So, really working, yes, it's not a day in the life, that's a week in the life. Maybe. Uh, no. uh, right. But that gives you a perspective of some of the Absolutely. things we're working on. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. You talked a little bit about. Uh, some of the initiatives that that you're undertaking, like quality, one of the big ones that we're hearing a lot with the ACA is readmissions. Kind of the latest buzz is population health that, you know we're hearing a lot of what kind of efforts is Elliot working on in in the system? How are you cooperating with other organizations uh, on population health and what are the economic incentives that that are actually out there to to encourage and engage you guys
1: yeah so. If it's okay, I'm going to go back to Jocelyn because I think that's where I learned, you know, so much. And and obviously a lot of what we're doing here at the Elliott is around one of our quality initiatives this year is around diabetes. But I think, you know, if I look at population health, I think of diabetes and, you know, this being one of our, you know, one of our biggest challenges. And as I worked with Jocelyn, we started engaging with payers and trying to understand how do we together find ways to reduce the cost. And it might not be a patient coming into, I mentioned telemedicine earlier, it might not be a patient coming into the organization four or five times, or if they're having some challenges, or need a little re-education, you know, they're having some, in diabetes, you have highs and lows, and you're you're having some challenges, or maybe you've implemented a new exercise regime, and you need some, you know, education on, on that. Does it make sense for a person to take Think about it economically. Three hours off of work, one hour so they can drive into Boston, one hour so they can have a visit, one hour so they can drive back. Maybe it ends up being a day off. How do we incentivize patients to keep themselves healthier, right, and really take control of their care? So I think one thing that we were doing at Jocelyn, and again, it was really focused on diabetes, so we really had that luxury of doing that, was really looking at working with payers or insurance companies incentivize the right thing and what we started doing we had an initiative with harvard pilgrim where we started doing televisits so if a patient was having a challenge you know you know something like that they could have a televisit or a phone visit now that's something right now we're not paid for as a health care organization we're not paid for televisits or or you know kind of skype-like visits but to be honest with you we can keep someone out of the hospital if we're seeing that that's the case. Another thing we started using was some technology, where a case manager in the office could understand what was happening with a patient, because a patient with diabetes is oftentimes has a meter, or you know they have the data points where we can understand what might be happening. The case manager can look at that, and she can understand where someone might be getting into some trouble. There's that outreach to kind of reach out to them and try to figure out, you know, is there something going on, is there some education, you need some help, we need an adjustment in your meds. Ultimately, to keep that patient from getting to the ER, you know, where that's a $13,000 expense, and we can, you know, try to really get the get to those patients earlier and keep them healthier so they're living healthier lives, they're not costing the system so much. You know, I think with um, Elliot, we're a large organization, we're not just focused on one thing, but we are getting into uh, contracts where we're trying and, and most places are but the contracts do focus on that population health you know how do we keep our patients healthier how do we make sure we're you know getting the colonoscopies they need so we're catching you know these these things early on mammography is something else we're focused on this year I think the challenge for us at Elliott, and most places to be candid, I think at the Jocelyn, we were just solely focused on diabetes and we couldn't understand why everyone wasn't more focused on it, (laughs) you know, but the challenge is for a large organization, there's so many different things you need to look at. So we're starting to bite off small pieces. This year we're focused on mammography, diabetes, and asthma, Uh, you know, using a controller medication. We're gonna focus on those and really roll out ways that providers can uh, document, that we can monitor those and we can report on those. and I think that's how we're going to start looking at these. Now, obviously, these are baked into a lot of our contracts, so there's this fi- financial kind of oftentimes upside, but that's what we're really trying to do at Elliott.
0: Great. So you mentioned, again, you're you're the vice president for physician services. You mentioned that, of course, physicians, like all of us, care about compensation. What else do you see as an administrator looking at, you know, across the across the hall to the providers. What do you see is there, what motivates physicians? You've been around for a long time, uh, around them for a long time. What do you see? I mean, it's compensation obviously. What else? What else motivates them?
1: I mean, I think data is something that's important that we have a lot of. I think presenting the data in the right way. So, physicians are typically data-driven. They, they went through their career understanding data and data is kind of what drives a lot of their decision-making in terms of practice and having that Proof that they're making the right decision through the data is important, but making sure that it's right. I think the worst thing we can do as administrators is providing correct data that's not been vetted. So I think that, you know, providing them with that, giving them what they need to do their job, the tools they need. Uh, so data is one thing, another thing might be staffing. They want to do a good job, so how do we help them? As administrators, how do I get them the tools they need so they can do a better job more efficiently, more accurately, more appropriately? And that's a challenge because you have competing demands. So if I provide more staff, it costs more. And how do I make the business case, if it's possible, that that's what we need? Data there's so much data out there. You know, I know coming to Elliot, there's so much. We're on a single EMR and it's wonderful, but getting the data out in a format that makes sense, that's been governed and, you know, has been vetted through, you know, that all of the data points are right, that we don't have too much noise is really important. And getting that back out to the clinicians so they can use that in their day-to-day decision-making is really important. So I think, you know, as I think about it, and these are probably some of the things on my mind right now, but those are, you know, two Key components I think are really important to physicians. And, and again, they just want to, you know, they want to make the right decisions and do what they can for their patients.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much. It was my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.